All right, we've been talking about how to make good decisions with the resources God has entrusted to us, and also the fact that sometimes uh, we haven't done that, and it has led to debt. Uh, in this session, we're going to talk about how to live within our means, uh, because uh, you know when we don't live within our means, that's how we get in debt, right? I mean, it's a very simple formula. If you spend more... If more goes out than comes in, you're in debt. It's, it's just a very simple formula. Somebody has said, if your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. Catch that? It's true. All right, so let me ask you a question. Would more money solve your money problems? Would more money solve your money problems? It would as long as you got your mind right. I agree. I also agree with the folks who said no. Because what, here's what typically happens. If you don't change your ways, it doesn't matter how much you get. You'll still be in the same situation. They did a survey among every income bracket of Americans. And, and get this, across the board, the average answer was they needed 20% more to be happy. So it didn't matter if you, what income bracket you were in, even the highest one, you felt like you needed more to be doing okay. And, and that's just kind of the way it is. Our human nature says, if I had more, then, you know, things would be a lot better and I wouldn't have any money problems. But that's not true at all. In fact, I, I watched, um, it was a number of years ago, ESPN did a, um, an old documentary called Broke. And I made my son, my oldest son, watch it. It was about, uh, it, uh, they, I don't know how they got these former athletes to be so candid, but there were a number of them who had made in their career, not millions, but tens of millions, and in a few of the cases, more than $100 million dollars and they are now, as the title of the show implies, broke. Burned through $100 million in eight years. See, you and I think, hey, that can't happen. Yes, it can. Because you and I think, if I just had $1 million, okay, you keep the 99 and give me the one, and I'm good for the rest of my life. And that may be true, but if that's true, it's only because of how you handle the resources and the amounts don't change the behavior. You hear me? The amount doesn't change the behavior. The behavior is where it happens. And so the problem is a lot of folks do not live within their means. And it ends up being a big problem for them. Um, somebody says, we need to learn to act our wage. <laughs> act your wage. Uh, and not what we wish it was, but what it actually is. All right, so why does this happen? Why, does it, why is it that some people live beyond their means? I'm going to make a few suggestions. Uh, if you are living beyond your means, I'm not implying this is true of you, but I am asking you to consider, in all honesty, in your own mind, in your own heart, is this part of the reason that you've struggled to live within your means. For some people, it's poor self-esteem. 
Now, I'm not suggesting if you have a problem living within your means, it's because you have poor self-esteem, but it might be. It might be. There are those who, who want to appear to be all that to those around them. They don't really have the wage for it. In fact, maybe they're trying to compensate for that. I feel somehow um, less in this affluent society I live in. I feel like I'm really not good enough because I know what my wage is, so I'm going to compensate, and I'm going to drive that, and I'm going to wear that, and I'm going to spend that. And as the old saying goes, we spend money we don't have for things we don't need to impress people we don't know. And, uh, and it could be at the heart of some people's poor choices is their, their inherent view of self. And, and how sad is that? Because the truth is all of us are inherently valuable. No matter what we wear or drive or what country we live in or what our bank account looks like. And, uh, and I would encourage you to not fall prey to that. Another reason that some do not live beyond their, or that they live beyond their means is greed, just plain old-fashioned greed. And we are given, in our culture, and I should back up and give you some perspective. As the director of the Bear Valley International Schools, uh, I am in a number of countries every year. Uh, we, we currently have 42 schools in 27 countries and uh, I was in I think last year I was in 18 different countries on four or five continents and I say that to give you the perspective of what I see and how different cultures are different than ours but and yet in other ways similar so one of the things that is similar is people are people people are people and, um, and we all have some of the same tendencies. It's just a matter of the opportunities. So if I'm in a third world country, I might have to fight greed, but I won't be greedy for what it is that you're greedy for. You're greedy for this, and I'm greedy for this. But the greed is still there. And the temptation and the tendency to just always want more, maybe even just for the sake of wanting more, is going to be there. And one of the things that's different in our, our culture is we are bombarded by advertisements. These are people who are professional marketers, professional advertisers. They know your buttons and how to push them. And it can lead to increase and an increased tendency to be greedy, which can lead to living beyond your means. Be on guard against your own greed. We, um, we've just come out of a, the greediest time of the year, right? What's the song? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, it's the most greedy time of the year, too. We always want more and, and, um, and bigger and better and nicer and newer, but uh, we need to be on guard against that. That can also, not only is that a heart issue spiritually, it can lead to financial issues as well. Another reason that some people live beyond their means is just simply a lack of self-discipline. You know, it really doesn't take any discipline at all to uh, be reckless and make poor choices with our finances. It doesn't take any discipline at all. I mean, anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. Uh, 
if we were challenged with the need to do it, every one of us could be broke by the end of the day. Could you be broke by the end of the day? I could. I don't know how I would do it, but I would work on it and get it done. It's easy. I mean, really, just start slinging it around. Um, it takes self-discipline to not live beyond our means. And, um, and you know, it, it, if you can't afford that new couch, you don't buy that new couch. If you don't have the funds for this thing, even though you want this thing, you don't get that thing. Maybe that thing goes on the long-term plan, and maybe being able to afford that thing goes into the plan, but you don't do it now. And it takes discipline to do that. But I'm telling you, you don't pay the price for self-discipline. You don't pay the price for self-discipline. Self-discipline pays you. Always does. It may feel like you're paying a price now, but it will reap the benefits and it will give you dividends in return that are more, much more than you'll ever pay. So sometimes it's because we're just lacking self-discipline. By the way, for those of us who are spiritually minded, according to Galatians chapter 5, in where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, you know what one of those is? Self-control. Self-control. Ouch. Ouch. Because for all of us, we would have to admit there are times we lack the ability, or not ability, we lack the choice to control self in all aspects of our life, right? I shouldn't be looking at that, but I'm looking at that. I shouldn't say that, but I said that. I shouldn't eat that, but I just did. I shouldn't spend that, but here it goes. And it's ultimately, it's a self-control issue, and self-control is indeed a fruit of the Spirit. All right, so... Um, what can we do to live within our means? I want to make seven suggestions to you today, and, um, and then we will go eat. By the way, eating that lunch is a good financial decision because it would cost you a lot more to go somewhere else. And thank you to, who, to those who provided it. All right, so how can you get into a habit uh, of living within your means? By the way, I was just talking to I, mean, I enjoy these uh, in the break. Um, conversations. One, I was just talking to someone, we were talking about how the norm is just the norm. And maybe your norm is always paycheck to paycheck and in debt and always like, you know, sometimes you run out of money before you run out of months. Maybe that's your norm, but it doesn't have to be your norm. And, and what you're, you know, the definition of normal is what you're used to. That may be what you're used to, but that doesn't have to be. You can change that. Also, I was talking to someone who came up, and I don't want to mention names because I don't know that that would be welcome, but someone who heard me do this uh, seminar, th I think, three years ago, and they're now out of debt. Isn't that encouraging? That made my day. So you may be thinking, I don't know if I'm, well, three years from now, you're either going to be in a better place or a worse place. So you might as well get started, and you can be out of debt also. All right, so how can you live within your means? All right, number one, understand God owns it all. Now, I, I, I understand 
that in this audience you would readily agree with me on that. I know that. But think about the ramifications of that. Yes, God is sovereign, and He owns it all. The, the cattle on a thousand hills, He says, everything we have has ultimately come from Him, even the ability to gain wealth, Deuteronomy 8.18. But I want you to think about the ramifications of that. If I am living beyond my means, are you with me? If I'm living beyond my means, and yet everything I have comes from God and His goodness, what is it that I am implying about His provisions? What is it? They're not enough. God, I understand it came from you and you gave me this, but, but you understand I also need this. You ever thought about it that way? God is sovereign and he owns it all, but what is it that I am implying about his goodness when I live as if it isn't enough? If I'm living beyond my means, I'm living as if what I have is not enough. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 again. Uh, the, the, the context there is material possessions. Uh, God won't leave us and he won't let us be without. Do you believe that? Then don't live beyond your means. You really can live on what it is that God has blessed you with. Obviously, someone could take it to an extreme and say, okay, well, God's going to take care of me. I'll quit my job and I'll sit down. We're not talking about that right we're talking about we are blessed it's not a matter of whether i've been blessed or not it's a matter of what have i done with what i've been blessed with and sometimes i haven't always made the best choices with that and that's what's led me to live beyond my means so remember god owns it all and he has given us everything we have and in his infinite goodness i know that whatever i have even if someone else has more or appears to have more I know that what he's given me is enough. A second thing to remember is that we, if we're going to live within our means, we have to stop focusing on what others have. And I would also add or on what others appear to have. Because what you think they have and what they actually have may not be the same thing. You may think that they have a really nice car. What you don't know is they also have a really high debt. And, and so you actually don't know. And, and by the way, I, social media, I have nothing inherently against it. I I'm participate. Has made it so easy for us to make it appear that we're living one way and we're really not. Let me say it this way. It has made it easy for us to look at what others appear to be living like and feel very discontented with the way we're living. Because we only show the good things, right? I mean, if we go on vacation and it's a beautiful place, we show the pictures of that. Nothing wrong with that. But the next week when you come home from vacation and discover that the dishwasher line has broken and flooded the house, and the carpet is wet, and things are ruined, I mean, that, that probably doesn't get, right? 
And thank you. I don't want to see your wet carpet anyway. But I'm, I'm just saying it, it looks like they're really living. I'm dealing with problems and issues and they're really living. No, they're dealing with it too. Don't be fooled by what you think others have. But there really is a tendency to make that comparison. Let me imagine with, imagine with me, you are driving down the road here and, and you're in the middle lane and you're in your average six-year-old sedan, got 112,000 miles on it, and you come to a red light. And you look to the right, and there is a brand new, shiny what? What? Well, it's all black. What is it? Mercedes? All right, we're going with Mercedes. Sister Mercedes spoke up first, so that's what we're going with. You're in your six-year-old sedan. There's a brand-new, black, shiny Mercedes. You look to your left. There's a 22-year-old junker. Looks like it's about to fall apart. What are you more likely to do? Look to the right and think, wow, I wish I had that. Or look to the left and say, wow, I'm blessed to have this. Which are you more likely to do? Be honest. We're looking at that. Why is it when we make comparisons, we put ourselves in the losing side of it rather than the winning side? Why is it we do that? I don't know why we do that, but it's natural. And there is a tendency for us to focus on what others have. And not just the car, but the house, the trip, the whatever. Remember the 10th commandment? Don't covet your neighbor's wife, possessions. I mean, this, this tendency has always existed. And here's the problem as it relates to our financial decisions, is this discontentment we feel from comparing with others drives us sometimes to make some really bad choices. And um, if I had a bigger house and more money and, and more you know, nicer clothes, if I had a different job, I mean, there's always something, right? And so stop comparing yourself to others. 1 Timothy 6. If you want a single chapter in the Bible that gives so much wisdom, I guess you would say, about money, it's 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. And in that he says, if you have food and clothing, be what? Content. Wow. Think about that. Think about the ramifications. Literally. If you have food and clothing, by the way, that word, by the way, that word implies shelter as well. So if you have food to eat, clothes to wear, and something to sleep under, be content. Wow. Think about that. Puts it back down to pretty basic levels, doesn't it? And shame on us who are blessed beyond measure when we focus on what others have or we think they have and we feel like somehow we're not doing as well. In that same passage, he says, you've brought nothing into this world and you know what, else you, what you're going to take out of it? The same thing. Do you know how you arrived into this world? Naked and crying. 
and I can see you're already doing better than that. Okay? You're doing better than you when you got here. He said, let's be content. If you're going to live within your means, you're going to have to stop comparing and focusing on what others have. Number three, don't always expand your lifestyle after a raise. This one always brings some chuckles and some looks of, oh man, I've done that. Because here's what happens. You, uh, you are working, you're, you're blessed to be employed, and you're doing a good job. You're a good worker, you're dependable, you're everything they want. And the boss calls you in on a Friday. Uh, you're a little bit nervous, because that just doesn't seem like you don't want to be called in to the boss. But he, he says, hey, we, you've done a good job, and what we're going to do is we're going to promote you to this. And oh, by the way... With that comes an extra $100 a week. Man, you leave out of that office feeling good. And on the way home, $400 a month more. But what are you thinking? Oh, now I can. And black Mercedes, here we go. Um, although you're not getting that for $400 a month. But, um, you know, and if you're not careful, you have spent it all before you ever get home. Can anyone identify? It suddenly feels like extra. It's not, by the way, after a, two or three months of making that money, it won't feel like extra. In fact, you'll be griping that they don't pay you enough. When you get those windfalls, those raises, that's good. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be some enjoyment in, in that. But if you're ever going to do better than you've been doing, you'll have to stop doing that. Remember, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you'll keep getting what you've been getting. And let me give you three reasons why you need to not expand your lifestyle just because you now have more income. Number one, you probably need to increase your savings rate. So yes, $100 a week more, that's great. But what are you currently saving well, probably not enough, according to the statistics. There have been times in the, the U.S. when the, actually the savings rate was in the negatives, which means that as a whole, we're not only are we not saving anything, on the average we're in debt. The average savings rate, though, is almost always in the single digits on a national basis. You don't want that. You need to save more, and you could apply some of that new income towards saving more. A second reason you don't want to do this is because you really want more margin. Margin is a key word. It's, a, it's, a, it's something you want more of and not less. Here's the definition of margin. It's the difference between what is brought in and what is sent out. So if you make $100 and you spend 95, your margin is only 5%, $5. You want more margin and not less. So, hey, you, you just got a raise. You just got some additional income. That's great. Instead of making choices with it that will keep you at the same rate of margin, use this as an opportunity to give yourself more of a buffer. You want more margin and not less. Another reason not to 
um, do this is because the unexpected happens. By the way, that's why you want to save. That's why you want more margin. Uh, as we speak, my vehicle needs some kind of a repair. I'm not exactly sure yet what it is. Now, are you surprised by that? I'm not surprised by that. Vehicles need repairs. Oh, and sometimes they need tires. And sometimes they need all four at one time. And they have to be balanced. And new. I mean, these things happen. That's not even unexpected. The refrigerator goes out. That's why you want to save. That's why you want margin, because the unexpected happens. So if you're ever going to stop this, this cycle of living beyond your means and just one paycheck to another to another, then you have to do this as well. All right, number four. I'll explain what I mean by this, but don't succumb. Don't be tricked into what I'm calling win-then thinking. Now, win-then thinking is something that all of us have done, and it's really easy to do, and, and it's, um, it's very tempting. But basically, have you ever said, when, fill in the blank, happens, then I will fill in the blank? You ever said that? When I get a new job, then I'll come up with a spending plan. When I get a raise, then I will manage my money better. By the way, I don't make enough to even, it doesn't even matter. Anybody ever heard that or said that? Oh, I don't, I, don't, I, I make so little, it doesn't matter. I, I don't even need a plan. Oh, you, you do. Again, the, the amounts may vary, but the habits and the practices remain where it all makes a difference. Uh, when I get a raise, then I'll give generously. When the kids leave home, then we will begin planning for retirement. There's always, you know, this temptation to do this win-then thinking. There's two problems with that. Number one, that thinking doesn't acknowledge the joy or the opportunity in the moment. You see, that, that thinking is always focused on something else and not what is. And there is joy and there's opportunity even in this moment, but that doesn't acknowledge that. Uh, and then per perhaps the biggest problem with win-then thinking is when the win comes, there's usually another win and not a then. When I get a raise, then I'll give generously. Get the raise. Oh, you know, I mean, I meant to do that, but boy, this other thing's come along and I'm kind of kind of can't do that right now. And so instead of the then, we've got another win. Are you with me? So tempting. Here's the problem, is that keeps us from feeling any responsibility to make changes now. I'm just kicking the can down the road. And when, whatever, then I will. No, 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 you probably won't. You probably won't. You can do it now, but not if you plan on doing it later. All right, next. Learn to be content. Uh, I, I, I would, um, I think I could probably spend the rest of the day talking about this. And again, some of it is, um, is uh, affected by uh, my, what I see and, and interact with on a regular basis in my life. But, 
But ultimately, as I've said before, I think discontentment is the, perhaps the number one driver of bad choices. And, um, and we have been blessed with so much. And, and even if we think we don't have as much as we should, or even if we think we don't have as much as what our neighbor has or appears to have, we're blessed beyond measure. And, um, and so it's not a matter of what I have. Do you know people who have less than you but are content? Sure. So obviously it's not a matter of you know, how many zeros are on the check or what's in the bank account or what's in the driveway. It ultimately is a, a heart issue. It's a spiritual matter. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, we find Paul in a really difficult situation. He was in, um, imprisoned in Rome. He had gone, uh, taken, been, was taken there against his will. And, um, and he didn't want to be there. And he said these words. He said, I've learned how uh, I've had a lot. I've had a little. I've been free. I've been captured. I'm paraphrasing. Then he says this. I have learned to be what? Content. I find it interesting. Here's this man, Paul. We think of as like this super spiritual superhero. And he says, I've had to learn to be content. It didn't just happen. We arrive into this world not content, right? Babies, as soon as they get a little bit hungry, they let you know about it. They're not satisfied. They're not content. We, we arrive in a discontented state. And unfortunately, some people never mature to the point that they can be content. And, uh, and ultimately... It's a spiritual matter. And here's where I think you and I probably think a little different than the rest of the world. Until my contentment is found in God, I will spend my life and my choices and my resources in a never-ending attempt to find meaning. You know, there are a lot of folks for which happiness is always one purchase away and it leads them to live beyond their means when all along they could have found contentment and joy and meaning and value in being gods and for those of us who are spiritually minded but we've forgotten that let me encourage you to come back to that your value is found in to whom you belong and it will never be found in what you own which is simply on loan anyway be content. Your joy and your happiness, your fulfillment and your meaning is not one purchase away. You already possess that. Be content. One more uh, or, or another um, suggestion is understand materialism. So what exactly is materialism? If you were asked that question, you would get a lot of different answers. Um, is it having too many possessions? Is it the person who's rich? Uh, and by the way, what's rich? I know a lot of have a lot of friends that would say that every one of us are rich because it's it's a relative thing. So, but we we define rich as anybody who has more than us. We often forget we are the rich man. By the way, the rich man and Lazarus, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, do you know who we are? 
We're the rich man. We're the rich man. Not spiritually speaking, but we're the rich man. We're so blessed. But is it because somebody has a lot that they're materialistic? What does that mean? I mean, what is materialism? Did you know there are a lot of people in the Bible we read about that were very wealthy? Good people. Solomon, David, maybe Lydia, she was an entrepreneur. Um, Job, what about Job? Loaded. Um, And not one of them are condemned for their wealth. In fact, usually they actually thank God and credit Him with being the source of their blessings. What is materialism? I think we need to get a grasp on what it really is. We understand it's a negative thing. I mean, it ends in ISM, so it's got to be bad, right? But what is it? Let, let me give you what I think it is. I'll just give you my definition. You can do with it what you want. You can come up with your own. Materialism is trusting in or having our loyalty in the things of this world and not the things above. Materialism is having my love, my loyalty, and my trust in the things of this world and not on the things above. Now you think about how that relates to living beyond our means. I become so infatuated, so loyal to, so in love with the things of this world, I make really bad choices. And I live beyond my means. We need to understand what materialism really is. All right, then number seven. Here's a big one. This is the final one. We need to be willing to make the necessary changes. So here's what happens. We're we're impressed by the need. You're here, so you saw some reason to be here. You've seen, you know, what can what can happen. You've heard some examples. You've thought about how it relates to you. And all right, I know, I know what I need to do. But here's the rub. We don't want to. I, I know what could happen. I mean, I understand, but I don't want to make the changes. So the man knows that if he brown bagged it to lunch, uh, to work every day, he could save what? What's lunch? Ten bucks, save ten bucks, 20 days a month, $200. But he, he doesn't want to do that. I mean, the guys, they, they all go out. I mean, I don't want to not, you know. Um... The wife says, I know, I know, we could cut cable. By the way, how many of you have cut cable? I'm sure we have. Uh, that's an easy fix, by the way, a, a, a big money saver. And you don't even have to just, like, go live in the woods and stare at trees. You can still watch TV, but without paying $100 a month. Um, but, you know, she knows she could cut the cable, but, you know, and then you can use a digital antenna. You get all the networks and a few other channels. You can get MeTV, which has got Bonanza. I mean, if you got Bonanza, what else do you want? Um, but, but she doesn't want to do that because, and you could save, you know, literally could save $100 a month, $1,200 a year, but, but she loves the Lifetime channel. Uh, oh, the Man Hater channel. Every man on Lifetime is a bad guy. She loves that channel. Can't do without it. So she knows what could happen and what should be done, but, 
doesn't want to do it. By the way, men, single guys, single guys, you, you don't want to be the first boyfriend on a Hallmark Christmas movie. Okay? You don't want to be him. You're going to be the second guy. Okay? Because um, the second guy, he's a ruggedly handsome, down-to-earth, flannel-wearing Christmas tree salesman who bumps into this beautiful, previously career-driven woman, but she's reminded of the true meaning of Christmas. That's who you really want to be. So, can you tell my wife loves those movies? Um, so, so here's the deal. We, we, we know what should be done, but we're not willing to do it. Not willing to make the necessary changes. And I'm telling you, it all adds up. You may be thinking, well, I, I know I could cut that out, but it's really not that much. It adds up. It all adds up. Let me show you some numbers. All right, so think of something that you spend $10 a week on. Um, you have your little habit. You like to swing through and get a coffee in the mornings, two bucks each time. It's just two bucks, right? I agree, just two bucks. $10 a week. Not going to kill anybody, right? And that's true, too. But it all adds up. You do that for 25 years, you'll have spent $13,000 on coffee. I mean, it all adds up. Um, but it doesn't end there. If you had saved $10 a week, let's say it this way, not spent that $10 a week, you would have, you would still have that $13,000. And if that were being put into some you know, like a mutual fund, some conservative vehicle to bring return. 6% is easily um, doable over a, a period of time. Historically, the stock market higher than that. In that same amount of time, instead of spending 13000 that 13000 would have grown to 38000 Oh, but it's just $2 a cup of coffee. Well, not really. Not really. You know why? It all adds up. It's small changes done over a period of time with great consistency that lead to big changes. All right, let's, let's move it up a little bit because the truth is probably we're not talking $10 a week, are we? Let's think of something that we spend $50 a week on. Whatever it is. Understand, we're not talking about anything that's bad. Cup of coffee in the drive-thru, bad? No, it's not bad at all. But everything adds up. That's the point. So what is it, $50 a week? Um, go out to eat lunch two or three times a week. Um, we, as a family, we really enjoy going to um, eat out Sunday after church. Oh, I see the face. It's kind of painful, isn't it? 50, 50 bucks, right? Now, you what? But, but you understand, we like the convenience. Could, well, could you have put some chicken in the crock pot and turned it on before you left home? Well, yeah, but we like to, okay, that's fine, okay? We're not making any judgments about what you are doing or not doing, just illustrating it all adds up. That $50 a week, how much is that a month? $200 a month for one meal or four times. Um, whatever it is, it, don't get lost in whatever it is. The number, you spend $50 a week for whatever, $65,000 um, over time. 
Again, that's not necessarily a lot. You will have made a lot more than that in that same amount of time. But, but here's what I want you to see. It adds up in the other direction as well. If you don't spend that 65000 and over the period of time you put that into the safe interest-bearing vehicle, in that same amount of time you will not have spent 65000 you will have 142000 And add those two numbers together, and that's the difference. That's the real difference between the person that does it and doesn't do it. The real difference there is pushing a quarter of a million dollars. That's the real difference. It all adds up. And then the question is, is not what do I do, but am I willing to do it? That really is the matter. So if you're going to, remember we're talking about living beyond your means. If you're going to live beyond your means, you're going to have to make some choices. Uh, some of them will not always be easy. Any change is at first uncomfortable. It may even break routine. Uh, I promise you'll live. I promise you will. Um, and, uh, and you'll be just fine. But, but it is possible to live within your means, still be happy, still be joyful, and also be in a position to actually support things that are of higher priority to both you and our God who blesses us so well with all the things that we have.